Hello and welcome to the Not Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week we watched Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and, and Willy, Willy Wonka. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, the canonic chocolatier love story. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't think I've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory since it came out in theaters. Like, I remember distinctly going to see that in theaters, but I have not seen it since. I, first of all, I uh, failed my perception when I was like... <laughs> relating to these movies because like I was like oh yeah Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory right and like for some reason it was always just Willy Wonka and the remake of Willy Wonka which it is but like I didn't yeah. like the title like I never cared about the title so like this time oh I'm yeah like, oh my god like all right fine so um no I also I don't think I saw it in theaters but I remember seeing it and I was just appalled at um yeah everything we'll talk about but um, the original, I had, I watched obviously as a kid, but I'd seen it a couple times as an adult, and just because it's pretty and gorgeous and fun, and yeah. Uh, but it has been a hot minute since I watched it and watched it critically at that. Um, oh, for sure. But like, it's so gorgeous. <laughs> like, it's, it's just so. I want to go to the chocolate room and just like have like the cutest photo shoot. That's all I want. It's so cute. <laughs> I I also did not realize how much that uh, first one, the Gene Wilder one, resonated with me as a kid. Or, like, really how many times I'd seen it. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I've seen that as a kid. And then watching mm -hmm. it, I remembered, like, every moment. Like, even the nuance of that, like, bed dance. And, like, there were a couple times, like, yeah. they would sing a certain way or, like, he would say a certain phrase and like there was a look and I remembered all of them so clearly and distinctly that I was like, I must have seen this movie a million times. Like, how do I know <laughs> it this well? That's so strange. And a couple times too, that like a scene would be happening and all of a sudden I'm like kind of tearing up for, it's like, it's kind of out of yeah. context, but like it almost felt like, Oh, like my brain's reconnecting with this movie in that really, really specific and poignant nostalgic way where it's like now being like, oh, remember when you made you felt like this when you were like six? Do you remember that feeling? And that's what was kind of making me tear up. And I was like, oh, my God, I that oh. I haven't really experienced something like that in a long time. I love or at least that. not with something that's like nostalgic like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes sense, because like I also didn't realize how well I, I knew this movie. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Um, because it's just like, oh, it was like it, it was one of those things where it was just kind of always on. It was always on TV, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and then when I was doing like research into the film, when it came out in theaters, it was a flop like it made I want to say it cost 10 million dollars to make and only made three I think Whoa. or something like that right so it was like a big ass flop but it wasn't until um like the 90s when it started like because TV got a hold of it and then just played it all the fucking time right yeah. where uh, 90s babies were really the ones that kind of have that love and nostalgia for it that wasn't really there when it first came out it didn't become iconic until then really also you know? iconic enough for the social culture that it like demanded a remake that w did fairly well right like because it's not like 
I mean, if if it had still bombed and there wasn't a sort of renaissance for it in popular culture, it wouldn't have been remade. I'm assuming. I mean, granted, who knows? Tim Burton might have done it. But at the same time, like, that is so funny that the 90s was its sort of renaissance. Because it was, like, I mean, that is kind of like 20 years later. There's a couple of movies that did that, too, like 2001 and stuff like that, right? Um, which we already covered. But um, about Tim Burton, I think I, I think Danny mentioned this, but... This was the film that Tim Burton always wanted to make. Like, really? Yeah, like this was his fucking movie he wanted to make. And Raw Dahl. Um, and that's how was, he did it. I yeah. We're gonna talk. <laughs> we're gonna have. But, yeah. We're gonna have words. <laughs> I have opinions. Um, but, yeah, same. Um, the movie he always wanted to make, so he's like he fucking pushed really hard for it. And I guess like Raw Dahl hated the original fucking hated it even though he wrote a lot of the screenplay right he was, he's credited as screenplay by yeah. in the original yeah yeah so he he super 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 didn't like it and um was really not happy with the finished product um he hated a lot of the things that they changed from um his original story which they did change a lot and i think a lot of what they changed was good but he he was not very happy about it so he always wanted a remake right um <laughs> and when then it's you, like when you get down into like the history of this movie like or like the the facts surrounding it and how like the original was made it's like the reason it's called uh Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is because Quaker sponsored the whole movie and they wanted to use the name Willy Wonka on candy bars so like they changed the whole name because of that. Also, um, part of Gorgeous. the reason part of the reason why it's called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is also because of the civil rights movement. Because in the book, the Oompa Loompas were, as we talked about in the witches episode, uh, pygmies from Africa. End quote. Um, but the producers felt like that was not a great idea to have a white man, uh, you know, a ring to slavery and all of this. Like in the book, it says like they were shipped to England in large packing cases, uh, I mean, with holes, it's... with holes in them. Like that's, that's a direct quote from, from the original source piece. Right. And so the 1970s, the NAACP and a bunch of other like civil rights groups criticized them and they're like, yo, this is racist, right? Which it absolutely yeah. was. Um, well, so like Dahl had to like rewrite his work and it was a whole thing. But like, yeah, so we can thank the civil rights movement and uh, marketing and, and uh, Quaker for this being Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, not Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. So I honestly, I love the fact that the changing of the name was for marketing purposes and for sale of candy, because I will say, there was a bit of a cognitive disconnect as a kid seeing Willy Wonka candy, branded candy, in stores. Because in my head, I'm like, Willy Wonka's not real. Yeah. So seeing this, I'm like, wait, is this fucking real? Yeah. Like a so... six-year-old just being like, wait, <laughs> that's based on a real person? That's in But, I mean, obviously, it's not. So the, the, the sort of lore behind it in my child years not recognize it. I mean, I just love it. I, I think that that's lovely. Yeah. Isn't and also, great? I mean, I think just... that's also such like a cool, like, I mean, cause there's obviously this whole thing is like a commentary on capitalism and stuff, but like, oh, so yeah. fucking so meta in that way, you yeah. know? So like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like when you're looking at the film through that lens and then knowing that this was the intent behind the entire fucking movie, like, yeah. wow. I mean, I also just think it's good. Like the fact that Roald Dahl didn't like it, 
I think that that's a stamp of approval of like, yeah, this is better. This is good. If he doesn't like it, I'm happy. Like, because he's just, I mean, as we said in the Witches episode, a resounding piece of shit, an anti-Semitic asshole who is obviously a racist bigot. Like, he's just, he's just trash. You know what I mean? So if y'all don't believe us, like NPR really (laughs) just did a piece on this. Like that's how in the know this is. So like, just Google it also, honestly. With the witches having just come out, didn't Dahl's family just like publicly and formally apologize on his behalf? um, Yes. uh, Posthumously, Mm -hmm. which I think, I mean, at the same time, like fuck him and I'm happy he's gone. (laughs) But uh, I just, I don't know. I just, it seems... It's so weird to me, and it's not weird because it's, like, white supremacistemic patriarchy, but, like, a lot of these filmmakers who, like, they stick to the source material, like, with The Witches, how, like, that ending was, like, kind of like an anti-Semitic witch hunt motif mm-hmm. bullshit, and it's like, well, that's based on the original story. I'm like, yeah, but the storyteller was a Nazi, so, like, <laughs> if you're so going to remake the story, maybe maybe leave out the the, <laughs> the sort of Nazi shit and keep in whatever else or just don't make his shit into these huge i don't don't elaborate on these huge ips and give him more money how about like you can write Maybe original stories. i don't know it's a whole thing but yeah well and like a big reason why God. doll hated the 1970s film is because it wasn't as dark and it was like wonka wasn't as troubled and which like the again talking about remakes of raw dolls stories right charlie and the chocolate factory 2005 by tim burton is much closer to the source material so it's just like it's so messy and it's so gross yeah and um also gene wilder hated that um there's a quote where he's just like i think it's an insult to do that with johnny depp who i think is a good actor but I don't care for that director and he's a talented man, but I don't care for him doing stuff like he did. And wow. And well, w- that is fucking I will, quoted. I will say, I I mean, Gene Wilder's performance is fantastic. Johnny Depp, all of those choices. I want to tear that one up a lot. Um, let's just jump into the first one. Do you want to? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> In some dreary town at some dreary time, a young, optimistic paperboy named Charlie Bucket dreams of better days for him and his family. In said town, local, mysterious, and world-famous chocolatier Willy Wonka has announced a golden ticket sweepstakes with a lifetime supply of chocolate and a super-secret grand prize for one lucky kid. Amongst a group of affluent kids from all over the world, Charlie is among the winners. Between Augustus Gloop, Veruca Salt, Violet Bodegard, Mike TV, and Charlie, who will be the mysterious prize recipient? As the group tours through the wild world of Willy Wonka, the children begin falling victim to self-imposed accidents. Augustus gets sucked up a pipe, Violet becomes a blueberry, Bruca gets thrown in the trash, and Mike shrinks himself into a pocket-sized version of himself. In the end, Charlie's kind heart and selflessness end up earning him the entire Wonka estate, and he and his family are no longer poor. Hooray! Hooray! (laughs) I have a couple things to say about this but i want to off the bat say i really still love willy wonka and the chocolate factory i think gene wilder is perfect in this i think like willy wonka as a character is such an asshole and i love like the way that he treats these asshole kids the whole time it'll be like well i know this he's like no, you don't. Like, I do. one of the parents is like, what is this Wonka? Some kind of fun house? He's like, why are you having fun? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, 
Just... The way that he played, like, Gene Wilder is just such a fucking gem in this. Like, uh, oh my god, the suspense is terrible. I hope it'll last. <laughs> <laughs> like, what else is there? Oh, the kid, Mike TV, is like, screams at him like how did you make them he's like what i'm a trifle deaf in this ear speak louder next time it's just like all of this like backhanded shitty it's 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 a great he's so fucking funny in this movie all questions must be submitted in writing just like every every turn every question every every time he's just like oh no don't stop like (laughs) he knows this is going to happen and he's just like i hate everything i hate all of this (laughs) i i'm obsessed with him in this movie i love this movie i love everything i was also getting a little bit teary watching it just like like there's just so much there's so much magic in it and like the way that every scene is stylized and like the look of Wilder himself in this film. Iconic. Um, just so, so good and so incredible. And I never realized, too, how much they make you wait to get to the chocolate factory, right? Like, like you 40 minutes. You don't see Gene Wilder until, like, 40 minutes in, right? That's yeah. when you get to the chocolate factory. And it's just, like, this huge buildup that pays off in such a lovely and, like, mystical and magical and mysterious but dangerous like sort of way like and it really is just such such a well-paced and just such a good film it's 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 a really well-told story and this one is particularly because i want to i get like the way that the story as it as we get to the factory we're, we're being introduced to these different characters and their their guardians are like these different families right as juxtaposed by our hero who is charlie each one is particularly bad in their own unique way. And this movie does a really good job at being like, yeah, these people are assholes. Like it's either the kid is misinformed and their parents suck or the kid's an asshole and their parents are, are, are uh, complicit or like what have you. There's like, they really paint them so villainously and like concisely, which I appreciate because then when we get to the chocolate factory, the only kind hearted ones are really Willy Wonka and then Charlie and his grandpa. There's a really nice divide of like what is considered good and bad. Not to say again that like the binary has to be good because shit's nuanced, but in a pretty simple like kind of storybook story with with a very clear and concise like happily ever after moment. I do like that this movie does a very good job at dictating to us the audience being like they're bad, they're good, they're bad, they're good. Remember that so that when when they disappear, it's like oh I feel good about this, I feel fine. Whereas like the Johnny Depp one. I mean, well, I want to get into like the fat jokes of it, which that was a whole deal. But it's so it's too nuanced where it's like, well, they're supposed to be good, but they're also like complicit in the fat shaming of this child or you know what I mean? Like it just it was too murky and not specific enough to be like, I know what's going on here. Whereas this one was a lot more structured. I feel like Willie, like this one was uh, nuanced in the right ways. You know, you could see the children and how they they mirrored their parents and, you know, they inherited the terrible behaviors from their parents and were also enabled by them, right? Like cyclical behavior patterns, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then in the next one, it's just kind of like the gritty reboot where, again, in, in place of nuance, they just put noise, right? Like yeah. That, oh, yeah. that whole thing. So one of the things I really like about Willy Wonka is I don't think that he's a good guy. 
Uh, I think he's, um, so you're talking about binaries and I, I, I agree. I think, um, that, you know, like Charlie is very representative of pure, good hearted, you know, a hundred percent good, right? All of the kids are bad, 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 a hundred percent bad. Right. Yeah. Um, but then there's Willy Wonka where you, you know, he wants to do good maybe, or you, you want, you want to see him as that person, but he is actually not that person. And yeah. I like that. And I like that's um, true. Yeah, he's incredibly delusional, egotistical, selfish. Uh, he considers himself like the provider of dreams for all of these people and is capitalizing on all of that while still being a white savior. Right. And, you know, oh, he yeah, devised all of these traps supposedly to get these children hurt. Right. He knew like there were just enough seats in the boat when they got in the, the boat, the chocolate river boat thing. Right. Yeah. So like all of these things are very intentional and he's so meticulous in the way that he does things, even the placing of, of the golden tickets, right. Slugworth or quote unquote Slugworth was within earshot every single time one of those tickets was found so he planted those where he, he knew where they were going to be yeah. and then set up this test of loyalty to prove that they're loyal because he wants to control the narrative in every way possible that's why he closes his factory that's why he does all of this right and he hates being questioned or challenged so, yeah. of course, he wants to find a child to impress upon them everything that he wants. You know, like, again, the, we see this as like, you know, he is good. He is all of this stuff when really he's just an incredible capitalist. And, you know, there's just like he hides behind the goodness that his brand has created, you know, like in the same way, like we've talked about it before. But Disney, right? Like Disney is a brand. You associate Walt Disney with good things, not, you know most people don't know that he was a misogynist and like, you know, uh, anti-Semitic. Um, yeah. Going to what you just said previously about like the whole impressionability of children and like maintaining like a stronghold over his image. Like I didn't, I obviously didn't notice this as a kid, but in the end, like the supposedly happily ever after moment is when he's talking to Charlie and Charlie's like, why didn't you just pick an adult? He's like, no, I had to pick a kid because they are more impressionable. If I picked an adult, they would have just done whatever they want. But you will listen to me. You'll do whatever I say, Charlie. And that's why I pick you. You're the one because you're a kid and I can easily manipulate you and I can control you. And that's why you're the winner. And you're like, wait. And then it's like elevator in the sky. Boo doo 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 credits. And you're like, whoa, wait, that's like the last line of the movie. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. that's insidious that's pretty fucking wild um well, i again at, i hadn't noticed that at all <laughs> you look at him right and like you know there's a shot where he's like going to like his office at the end of the tour and he's pissed and on the door there's like vice president chairman of the board president superintendent you know like all of these titles that he only has himself because he doesn't trust anybody else which is why he uses slave labor for, oh, you know. which I mean, that's a whole nother like as an industrial capitalist, which is who he is, obviously he's going to have some colonizer tendencies. So this whole concept, this notion that like he's gone and got these people from this place that they didn't want to be. It's like, well, that's not true. <laughs> you took people from their homeland and brought them here to work for you for free. <laughs> uh, slavery. You're just doing slavery now. <laughs> like, that's all you're doing. Slavery for the for the for the sake of profit to make sure that you run this. And you're such an egomaniacal narcissist that you have to control everything. And that includes people. 
and also their uh, how they perceive the world, right? Because it's never the Oompa Loompas always say what Wonka is thinking that he can't say himself, right? So in every song, they're talking about you know like they're like, "Yo, you're too fat," you know, "You're too greedy," "Your chewing gum is repulsive and wrong, like a cow." And you're like, yeah. wait, what? And then they, what do they say? Like, mom and dad are to blame for spoiled kids. You know, don't watch TV, TV, blah, blah, blah. You should read a book. Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, boober. But then also, like, when you look at it, too, because, like, they're singing about, like, if you don't want anything and, you know, you just accept your place, like, you know, you could just be happy. It's fine, right? Yeah. Which is wild because you never see them happy or smile or anything. So, like... They're trying to tell other people, like, just just don't, like, you know, don't be an asshole and just accept everything and you'll be fine and everything's fine. And meanwhile, like, Wonka's whole brand is anything you want to do, you can do it. There's there's nothing to it, right? Yeah. Which is, like, you know, uh, and there's, like, the whole song at the beginning, which is, like, candy makes the world taste good. It's this whole thing where, like, you know, the candy itself is also, like really meta thing for how branding works and how it makes you feel good about yourself, right? Well, well, it's it's also this level of, like, sold joy, bought and sold joy, artificial joy. It's it's something that's, like, yes, it's, it's this kind of momentary and instantaneous thing, but at the end of the day, it's a product that's been sold to you. So it's, like, what you were saying about the phrase of, like, anything you want to do, do it, there's nothing to it is really fucking gross <laughs> just when it yeah. when it comes to like what he's it's i mean that's always something to some degree that people of privilege say like, i was gonna say you, yeah if you want to do something just do it it's like that's not how it works for everybody that's not and also... and that's not realistic and especially looking at him as like literally somebody who stole people from their land to work for him for free and has all of these people do all of these things for him. I'm assuming for free and takes credit for all of these things. And is being um, an asshole to all of these kids, right? He's like, yeah. do whatever you want, but don't do that. Right. So like yeah. going back to controlling the narrative. So like, what the fuck are you trying to say? <laughs> well, there's also a level of like, now that we're talking about it, part of the reason he hates these kids is because he can't control them. Charlie's the only one who will listen and will do whatever he says. Um, I mean, granted, it's not these kids' fault that they're assholes. These parents are pieces of shit. <laughs> like, these parents are trash. I, like, I will fully say, Veruca Salt is one of my favorite characters. Love she's so, so much. like She's such an asshole. And she's so, like, particularly stringent. And, like, I'm obsessed with her. I think her, she's so cool. Her whole cool. dance scene. Just like oh, so, uh, like so lovely. I want, I want the world, I want the whole. Give, Give it, it to me, me. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> and I'm like, well, on top of it being just like pure seventies gold, her, just her as a character, I I love her so. I think she's like she's so emblematic of the like loud woman trope of it like being sort of bad. But I mean, granted, in this world, it's sort of like the 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 nastiness of children. That they're that they're trying to do, and and again in a storybook way, I know it's like trying to be very like specific and fairy tale, but it's obviously the parents' fault that they're trash. But her as a character, obsessed. I am obsessed with how direct and like obviously she sucks. Like I'm not trying to be like, oh, she's so great and we love her. No, I think she's like tragic, <laughs> but I still <laughs> fucking think she's so cool. Like even in the remake, she's cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> she's also just so confident, right? And that's something confident. That, she's super confident. Yeah, that's something you we don't see that as much, or some especially like a young girl embodying this much fucking confidence. And like, she's totally a girl boss, right? She's like, yeah. she is a little girl boss. But that's also another thing where it's like you're right. That is playing into that trope of women's ambition you know when if not checked you know it's going to be a problem um so but yeah i do i love 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 her character yeah but i think a lot of it just also has to do with like that performance too because she just did she did so good in that you know all of the children were like the personified children versions of the seven deadly sins right yeah 100 um augustus gloop is gluttony right veruca is greed and then violet is pride because she's like the show off and then mike tv is a shinny millennial you know like seven deadly sins we got it (laughs) but the cast was just great for this i think yeah, I think I was hoping that there would be more of a structured narrative around, like, the class discussion. I mean, the only thing that I could really get into as far as, like, what was uh, discussed class-wise is this notion of, like, controlling poor people. Especially in that, like, last line where it's like, oh, well, I can control you, like, whatever. It's like, these mm-hmm. other people are either upper middle class or incredibly affluent, like, mm-hmm. richest rich kids in the world. And at the end of the day, he knows that he can control the poorest of the poor who has right. literally nothing with the promise of anything, any glimpse of hope, any small thing. Because I will he be has able to, nothing. He has nothing. And he has so he'll nothing be able to, and nothing to lose. He'll be able to control loyally these people if he knows for a fact he can give them any and everything. Right. And so that's like fucked up. I, I mean... I do like that they depicted rich people as trash. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. This. That w- I thought that that was fantastic. Like the dad, like uh, Veruca's dad, who's like just gonna buy her whatever. Uh, in the factory, like all of his workers who work at this nut factory, uh, is had just having them open boxes and boxes of chocolate. Like that's what they're doing, and it's like whoever finds it, I'm giving them a dollar raise. Like okay, like that's so. So toxic and gross and like, mm-hmm. I just, I like that they were depicted as disgusting. Also interesting that he, because like, you know, he has no control over his daughter or probably presumably his wife, right? Like they kind of run the show, but all yeah. of his employees are female. So he can assert his dominance over femininity in some way th- to make him feel better and more masculine, you know, and then yeah. the woman finds the ticket and he's like, I found the ticket. I found this. Right. So taking credit for something that women have done for him. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it's it's patriarchal dominance on like the just the surface there, but then juxtaposing that with like his daughter who is so confident and it's really the confidence mm-hmm. that kind of is top tier as far as like any sort of structural confidence hierarchy. Whereas like she says she wants it, he'll do whatever. He tells them to do it, they do whatever. Like juxtaposing that, I, it's it's cool. Like the dynamic's cool, the family <laughs> dynamic was sick. Um, I like, well, I also didn't like this. I kind of liked it, but didn't like it. Charlie's mom, she's doing so much for all of these people. For his grandparents on the dad's side who isn't there and her parents all there she's making it work best she can and same with same with charlie Charlie. charlie's charlie's Mm -hmm. trying his best and like whatever money he has and he's like here grandpa take this and spend it on tobacco and also that's the grandpa who fucking 
is like, oh, we're going to the chocolate factory. Let me just get up now. Mm-hmm. Like, don't worry, y'all. I'm great. I can walk. And they're like, he can walk. And it's just like, hey. Like, We've been here n- for 20 years. What the fuck? Yeah. Why? Of course, why now? It's because of this. But it's just like, fuck. You've literally been making your grandson, who is like six, work so he can pay for your fucking cigarettes. <laughs> and not have enough food to eat apart from cabbage soup. And now that he, like, wins this amazing prize, you're like, oh, so me? I'm the one going, too, right? Me? Well, he tries <laughs> to take credit for it, too. He's like, yeah. I've got a golden ticket. I have a golden ticket. And, like, Charlie is always an afterthought in that song. Also, yeah. Charlie cannot sing. Um, that was no. atrocious. But, um, it was rough. But I love that song. I love that song, too. I did have, like, a moment, because, like, you know, I've, I've been on a train, fuck Grandpa Joe for a long time, right? Oh, because yeah. I'm like, fuck this lazy asshole. But then part of me, too, and maybe it's just because of COVID, right? Part of me is, like, was this supposed to be some sort of commentary on depression and how, like, debilitating that can be if it's, like, if you have clinical depression and you feel like you literally have nothing yeah. to live for, you know? So I'm, like, thoughtful portrayal of depression or a lazy asshole i don't know you be deci- you decide maybe yeah. it's just the covid brain talking right now because guess what it's been a whole year everybody yeah <laughs> happy birthday to us no i mean that's that's totally valid 100 percent. and granted they're they do pretty... go into it more in the second one so like they i think do. that that is a little bit more valid there and maybe that like because i haven't read the book obviously but maybe that's discussed in the book and that's something that just kind of carried through um, yeah. but yeah, so that, that kind of got me thinking, I was just like, fuck grandpa Joe. But like, I also just need to ask myself that question. I think that's a good question to ask for sure. Um, because you're right. I mean, the one moment that he does get up is, is this moment of goodness or optimism or hope in this vast sea of nothingness and, and the constant understanding disappointment. and constant disappointment and the understanding that like things might not and probably won't get better. Just based based on history, based on this cycle. Oh so as, as as much as he's trying to also instill hope in Charlie when the other grandpa is like, he has no fucking chance. Like, get that shit away from him. He, like, he has not a chance in, in hell. And grandpa is just like, hey, everyone has a chance, including Charlie. Let him let him hope. Because, I mean, they, they as a collective sort of represent end of life hopelessness to some degree. So, like, the fact that he's trying to instill that sort of adds credence to this notion that, like, yeah, he's fucking depressed. Like, he's bummed mm. out. It sucks. Life is hard and bad and rough most of the time for a lot of people. Watching Charlie's mom too, like because you know she's obviously fully accepted this and she's doing yeah like, she's doing her best. She's doing everything for all of these people, right? And so just like seeing all of this optimism in Charlie and seeing her have to balance that and try to like be like hey so this might not happen don't get your hopes too high don't like you know like having to balance that just like broke my heart and like just seeing charlie just like when he goes to see her while she's like doing laundry and he like tries to talk about he, oh well you know they found the the last ticket and he's just so sad and like yeah. she can't do she literally can't do anything she can't even like a loaf of bread is a feast for them. They yeah. have cabbage soup literally every day. And yeah. she like knowing that she's not in a position to help at all and like she can't do anything else, right? And then like 
Charlie's again disappointment when uh, Grandpa Joe gets the the candy bar for him, right? And he's like, "Oh, maybe it's that," and just like yeah. that that hopelessness. Like I I feeling that as like a kid, especially, and like you know trying to be like, "Oh, you know, I I can do better. I can do all of this," but really capitalism is fucked and you're like yeah. you know classism and all of this and it's just it's it was just so think, heartbreaking to watch i think the moment that you're talking or like uh, of the vibe that you're talking about that hit particularly hard is when he's laying in bed and they're in the other room and he can hear them talking and it's like the news of like they found the last golden ticket and that's it and then uh what one of the grandparents is like oh somebody should wake charlie and tell him and then it's either his mom or grandpa joe who's like let him sleep. Let him have one more night of dreams of, or of hope. Like, oh, let him just. And then it like cuts to him, and he's wide awake, literally crying <laughs> in his bed. And I'm just like, that is rough. That yeah, that definitely is like hell is sad. And especially as a kid, like, how many like times have you been that like you can overhear something happening that you're not supposed mm-hmm. to, and it just like crushes you or changes you to some degree. And um, then like at the end, he starts to kind of like accept that too, you know, and he's just yeah. like. I bet the ticket makes the chocolate taste bad. It's fine. I would rather yeah. like, he, you know, and it's just like that, that level of disappointment. And like, also knowing that like, that's not his fault and that's not his mom's fault. Like, it's just like, it is the world. And then like, in that same way, that's why like this movie, like, uh, like, you know, on a bigger whole is like this whole thing about capitalism and classism and stuff like that. And like, literally the only way for him to get out is to get lucky, you know? Yeah. So what does that say about the world and politics and all of these well, other things, you know? And even him getting lucky isn't him getting lucky because the only th- reason he's there is to be controlled in the end, is to be used as somebody else's puppet to to carry on this legacy, this legacy of industrial capitalism, uh, especially without his knowledge. Like he's, he's not being told like I'm using you. It's just like you're a child and you'll listen to whatever I say. Like, yeah, I will. Here's the world. Okay. Like what the fuck? Yeah. The more I think about it, the more it's fucked. I still, I mean, I still love this movie. Also like fucking love this movie. Right. It's, it's, it's rough stuff. I mean, especially what it has to say about like authority, and like authoritative figures, so it's like like the teacher. I mean, Ooh, yes, we get into so him? so it's the teacher. It's literally all of the grandparents, including Joe. The only exception of authority figures is his mom and him, mm-hmm. because even Willy Wonka, obviously, all of the parents of all the kids, Slugsworth to some degree, because he's just it's just entrapment, <laughs> uh, and uh, he's <laughs> he's doing the bidding of this uh, villainous industrial capitalist. Uh, and then who? He's what a are willing the other? participant. He's yeah. a willing participant. He knows what's going on. Who are and the other? Also, yeah, adults. The all adults the who try to take the all, all of the parents. The adults who try to take the ticket from Charlie in the crowd. The, like the one that tried to do the um the supercomputer to figure out where where the yeah. last ticket was and stuff like it's, that. It's and and like looking at like the teacher specifically like like and the way that he asserts dominance over these kids where he like is like. Do you know this? Of course you don't. And I'm not going to tell you, right? And yeah. he's like, by the way, we're taking exams before we learn the stuff because I said so. It's, it's and so... You, it's... You could, I can't figure that out. Let's make this easier. Like, And he's just like, at every turn, just trying to like make sure everybody knows that he's the one in control and he's smarter than everybody else. It's also so overt the way he's just manipulating these kids. 
Like, again, mm-hmm. it's it's just like, do you know what that means? Of course you don't, because if you knew that, then you'd be the teacher and I'd be the student. And that's preposterous, you absolute moron. And you're like, wait, we're just doing chemistry here. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And then even again, the other day, like the next day when the kid runs through the halls and he's like, we're going to go buy the chocolate. And then the guy's like, class dismissed. Like, I need to go figure this out so I don't care about you guys. And then he's like, well, no, it's actually this. He's like, oh, no, class in session. Never mind. I can't get what I need. And then it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's like actually happening. He's like, oh, yeah, for real. Class dismissed. I don't care what you do. I'm going to go buy some chocolate. Like, fuck off. All of the all of the authority figures in this are just painted like fucking scumbags. And I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love and especially juxtaposing with like these people of privilege, these people who have what it is that Charlie wants or or what Charlie thinks he wants to some degree. Or, I mean, not what he thinks he wants, like a fucking livable life is all he wants. <laughs> and these people who have so much more than that, they have however many over times over of that life that he has, they have it in these huge piles just for whatever. And they don't give a shit. So all of these people who are painted in such a negative light, these authority figures who are in places of privilege and in places of wealth. I love that they're painted poorly. I love that they're painted bad. They're poor in character. Whereas Charlie's rich in character. And that's the whole vibe of like, he's rich in character, but poor uh, fiscally. And then they're fiscally well off, but poor in character. Like, well, just... and also too, like the the everybody that has a profession is always bad at their profession, like yeah. in a little bit. Like anybody that's supposed to have that sort of like you know knowledge authority over whatever. Like the news, the newscaster says on all five continents, right? Like there's these little like throwaway lines where it's like, don't you mean? Wait, hold on, five yeah. can five, and then um, there's another part where like. Wonka does like math right and like my tv's mom who's a teacher is like wait but that's 105 percent or something right and he just like is like oh well whatever it's fine like there's also like a point where they say like 500 billion people in the world and then like so like all of these facts and figures are always a little bit off and a little bit wrong right like the teacher is saying like you only opened two candy bars. I can't do that. That's too hard. Let's say you opened 200, right? Oh, because, yeah. like, you know, so like all of these just like really small, subtle lines just to like kind of undermine to show that nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about. That, and that, the whole I system's fucked. Yeah. The, the yeah. system's fucked. And it's not a, the, the point of privilege and like the point where you exist in the world has nothing to do other than anything besides chance right yeah to this degree where it's like also like you know being rich and white because the only places that these uh, winning chocolate bars which were planted by slugworth were rich white communities or rich white countries right yeah and uh the fucking paraguay uh counterfeit where of course it had to be like that's that's like the only like time that they really mention uh like you know a country that is not rich and white yeah um (laughs) So <laughs> emphasis like, on not cool. white <laughs> emphasis on not white because it's very clear like of all the people it's these five super rich super white families and like that's just the story <laughs> well yeah and then there, it's like oh okay so you're trying to say that you know they will cheat and steal to get what they like so it's just like that which, whole narrative too which yeah. tracks with Raul Dahl right is just like this sucks um but <laughs> Like, yeah, just those little moments. Like, I had to pause and be like, wait, did they just say five continents? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> so I, 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 I noticed a lot of that, especially with, like, the teacher being like, oh, I can't do that math. It's, like, simple math, but it's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. And we're going to say you said this. 
um, just undermining those authoritative figures. And like it, it's it's so intentional, and you're so right. It's like these these people who are in these places of such authority, just not knowing basic shit and not knowing the simple things. It's all a facade. It's all fake. The way that they're built for the exploitation of labor, of not just, you know, other communities, but also animals. And also, you know, uh, like there's like the geese where it's like, oh, don't tell the geese that it's not Easter because I'm I want to get ahead for next year. Right. So, just, oh, like, yeah. Straight up, like exploiting like in, in literally every way they can, which they're also not really hurting for money, which is fucked. Um, then like, you know, with like the whole, you know, secretiveness of corporations that build dreams. We know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but like there, I got like a big vibe, like a big vibe of that in this film because it was just like, oh yeah, I, I've been there. Right. So like they want to share dreams with the world, but they want to control the narrative around it. And so they like in the same breath, kind of like we talked about with, um, with Wonka where he says like it's so easy anybody can do it but also in the same breath he says no 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 don't do that right you have to you have to think how I want you to think you have to act how I want you to act that whole thing so they're like like these corporations also act as like gatekeepers of happiness right oh yeah where uh they don't want it to come from others they want it to come from them and that's why there's all the secrecy that's why they're you know they treat their workers the way that they do right and like you know are incredibly oppressive in a lot of the ways that they uh they go about things they're afraid of stealing like oh my god okay like okay cool and like i think the 20s there were actually like chocolate wars and like you know stealing of and like big chocolate espionage like you know <laughs> i guess yeah. uh, was something i read just all of that and like then creating scarcity to drive up sales which like legit like this movie like has like a, a small point where it, like it shows that that leads to mental health issues the guy is talking to his therapist and he's just like wonka bars wonka blah 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 and then like this woman gets her husband uh like her husband gets kidnapped and he's just like you oh know oh we want your wonka bars and she's like oh um, do I have an I hour to think about, about it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll do then, anything except that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just like showing the ways in which like, like these big brands, not only like, you know, and like how capitalism allows them to thrive, but also how its effect on the collective consciousness and on society as a whole and how we treat each other and all of this. So it's just... Um, and then, like, in the end, for him to, like, go back on his word with what he was going to give everybody because he didn't allow them to read the terms and conditions, right, of this contract that he forced these children to sign. So, like, And comically small font, which was, like, the whole yes. deal. That was the joke, <laughs> right? So all of that is just so, so fucking smart and so intentional and so great. And I love that the film itself, while being a critique, is also, like exists because of this mania right yeah, like so 100%. it builds up it builds up the mania in the film like for 40 minutes like we talked about and it was also this film is sponsored by quaker <laughs> so like yeah it's so fucking meta <laughs> it's yeah i think with this the more i talk about it the more i i love this movie i think it's it's so well done and so 
so good. Like like you said, I mean, it's again, it's like gatekeeping this idea of dream of hope. It's 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 repackaging joy and selling it. Like like even even when they're in the hall licking the wallpaper and Veruca's like the Schnozberries. Who's ever heard of a Schnozberry? And he like pinches her mouth and is like, "We are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams." Like, mm-hmm. and we is so insidious. It's just like we, we decide this. We created this. This is ours. Like, it's like um, him and God. What is that? Is that who you're talking about? We? Yeah, like- <laughs> right. Like, it, so there's there's just a level of. And again, it's this movie does a really good job. Again, they spend forty minutes instilling in the audience like this is mania like people go off for this company like it is the epitome of an intentional capitalist fandom and it makes me very happy that um it's not like the book and that Roald Dahl hated it it that makes me love this even more because like because you know I feel like you know this with our podcast, we always talk about like when you when you create something, you have choice, you know, and it doesn't matter if, you know, it wasn't that way in the story before. Whatever you do, you have a choice. And so the choices that were made in this film, you know, the, the majority of them, I mean, there's still some that are questionable, like we've already talked about, but the majority of them were just so thoughtful and so good that like, yeah, I I can stand this movie, even though uh, Raul Dahl wrote this script. You know. <laughs> yeah. What? Right. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm I'm happy that so much of it had to be changed, and I'm happy that he hates it again. Like <laughs> I said earlier, like to me, if I made something that some Nazi asshole hated, I'm pumped, stoked. Like, why would anything that I create be even close to anything that that person would enjoy? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that would be incredibly telling on me, right? If if I had created something that some anti-Semitic asshole was vibing with or, or saw some goodness in, I'd be like, wait, what? Hold on. I need to... Yeah. Let me think about this. <laughs> Let me be a little <laughs> introspective here because there's, there's, some, there's something that I need to figure out with that. It's truly, like, so good. And so, like, and even, like... When you think about, like, the thing, right, that Slugworth wanted the kids to get, which is the everlasting gobstopper, right, which was made specifically for poor people, right, he says, for kids that don't have a lot of money, right? So, like, Slugworth wants you to steal the most inconsequential, the least profitable thing from this company to just to see if you are a good person, if you are honest or not. Right. Yeah. Like uh, and also the fact that that exists as another way to instill brand loyalty, even in people that that don't have money for and that. Right. So maybe they'll it. go work or maybe they'll, you know, but they they are now suddenly stands of your brand. What you know. what little money you have will make it so you can still give that to us. Also, fucking Wonka isn't paying anybody. So no. like. He could make all of his chocolate way cheaper if he wanted to. I'm just saying, like, yeah. he could also just pay his fucking workers, too. Yeah. I mean, he's a villain. <laughs> I know I, I know. I'd said earlier that he, like, he wasn't on the surface. But, like, at the end of the day, he's, he is villainous. He is, he is the epitome of industrial capitalism. He's bad. Like, jeez. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't even think about the Gobstopper thing just as far as, like, instilling even in the lowest income communities brand loyalty it's like here we see you yeah like the smallest of smallest and smallest of things 
Yeah, we'll make sure that you can still afford to give us money. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. And we'll make mm -hmm. you feel good about it. And you'll feel like it's a deal. <sighs> yeah. So fucking gross. <laughs> it's, it's great to watch and, like, not be, like, even, like, turn your brain off and watch this, and it's great. You can have your brain fully fucking on and watch this and get things out of it that you never expected. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, what a, what a delight. It's a good movie. I think the only thing I want to end on is the knife cart uh, of the, uh, the, the uh, like, I guess he's supposed to be like the soothsayer at the beginning um, with Charlie as Charlie's like on looking into the uh, Wonka estate. The guy with the knife cart comes over and like, I think it's the nobody ever goes in and nobody ever comes out. What an interesting thing that he has knives on him while he says that as he's looking at capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, it, it's supposed to, like, this person who's critiquing Wonka, who's critiquing, like, the insidiousness of something that on the surface looks very joyous and fun and friendly and, and for kids and for the child and all of us. Um, mm -hmm. The one person in this story who is adding any kind of critique to what would be that sellable product is depicted as scary and bad he's like covered in knives like like ooh, <laughs> stay away stay away from this scary person uh they're so scary look they're big knife cart his critique is also scary stay away from the critique <laughs> <laughs> um it's just so fun and then the tunnel the scary tunnel like no way of knowing so apparently <laughs> nobody knew what he was gonna do like for that scene he had not really? rehearsed it in front of anybody right so there's a couple of parts in this movie that were very improv or like first reaction like holy shit right or not improv but yeah like just like that scene with like the the chocolate room right where they like all go in the kids had not seen it yet Right. Oh, no so shit. their reaction was like a hundred percent like real. So just like can you imagine like that river was also actually fucking chocolate, in case anybody was wondering. Gorgeous. Um, yeah. So um apparently it started smelling really bad. So at, at a certain point, so they ended up like when they did the remake, they used fake chocolate for the river. It's a I, thing. I would but... I would honestly hope that they would use fake because like you can't <laughs> you can't keep that <laughs> like <laughs> It's not going to stay smelling yummy. <laughs> like, no, yeah. It's it's a natural product that will start to decay. <laughs> and also just that whole scene when he's like walking down and he has to make sure to stop everybody because they can't, they're not allowed to get in front of him. And so like anytime they start to catch up, he steps back and like, you know, puts his cane in front of them. Like, again, feeding into capitalism it's, and that whole thing. Well, well, it's also just a dance of control. Yes, like it's they're doing exactly. like a little like a little walk down and he's making sure like if I step back you have to step back with me he's like he's guiding them into the realization that he is the one who's in charge reinstilling this almost Pavlovian style but in a little stair dance with his cane uh Veruca almost gets in front of him and he slams the cane on the, <laughs> the, the whatever right in front of her face she's like huh. um yeah 100 percent. it's it's reinstilling uh, that dominance in these characters and so then, like, the other part that was that he had not, like, nobody, not the director, not nobody knew um, how he was going to perform that poem when they were um, in the in the boat in the tunnel from hell, where oh, it's like you see a terrifying. chicken and their head get cut off and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, 
fucking horrifying. But nobody knew how he was going to perform that. So, like, when he did, he scared the shit out of everybody because they didn't know that was coming. They didn't know how he was going to deliver. They had yeah. no fucking idea. So, like, the kids were actually, like, afraid of him after that a little bit because they thought that he might actually be crazy. But, like, part of the reason he he played that, that part the way... And he does such a good job because, like, uh, Wilder also knew he's like this guy is a crazy rich ceo whatever guy that is like on the brink there so he he knew what he was doing and yeah I, like god so good so jarring but so good yeah so- i mean even even in there like that as a scare tactic on a on a character level i mean for that, I mean, that scene by itself, it's like, it's not, we don't know where we're going, and then to perform this psychosis in this very physical way to the point where you're scaring these people intentionally, like, it's good. It's scary. <laughs> I mean, that was fucking scary. I remember as a kid seeing that being like, this is terrifying. <laughs> well, and that's another way that he just kind of, like, lets you know that this character is not a good character. Right? Yes. Insidiousness. It's 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 planting the seeds of that insidious nature i love i love well for some reason i'm saying that word a lot today insidious i love that word it's a great big word and i it's like a, it a lot too it's a good word do you feel it's... smart when you like just pull those out like in oh. casual conversation and you don't even mean to it's not even like a i'm trying to sound smart you're like <gasps> well when it when it feels organic and it is casual and organic that way it's it is it does feel a little like ooh, <laughs> like oh, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Okay, no, Penguin Books, no giving I. me a book deal. Get out of my face. Like, harp, what? <laughs> Somebody give me a book deal. In some dreary town, at some dreary time, a young optimistic paperboy named Charlie Bucket dreams of better days for him and his family. In said town, local, mysterious, and world-famous chocolatier Willy Wonka has announced a golden ticket sweepstakes with a lifetime supply of chocolate and a super-secret grand prize for one lucky kid. Amongst a group of affluent kids from all over the world, Charlie is among the winners. Between Augustus Gloop, Veruca Salt, Violet Beauregard, Mike TV, and Charlie, who will be the mysterious prize recipient? What's this? A moody and unnecessary backstory about Wonka and his parents that includes childhood (laughs) trauma and dentistry? As the group tours through the wild world of Willy Wonka, the children begin falling victim to self-imposed accidents. Augustus gets sucked up a pipe, Violet becomes a blueberry, Veruca gets thrown out in the trash, and Mike shrinks himself into a pocket-sized version of himself. The tour ends and Charlie goes home. Wonka spends time to himself and thinks upon what to do about his legacy after plucking his first gray hair. He decides to take Charlie on as a business partner and allows for his family to live happily ever after in the Wonka factory. Hooray? Big question mark there because, okay, we talk about this a lot and (laughs) like... Did they really need to make this the Batman Wonka version? Because this is just it's... like the darker, grittier, nastier, like, God, but this it's, sucks. It's, it's the whole, I mean, this was in the heyday of make something realistic and realistic is like in big air quotes. Like, so center it in the world of like human emotion that isn't like cartoonish. So if it's something that is cartoonish, make sure that like the character is dealing with some wild childhood trauma like i just i did that whole backstory with him and his parents and how like his dad was a dentist and that's why he wasn't allowed to eat candy and then he traveled the world like why 
Like, what is, <laughs> what's the whole, like, I know that largely it's to, to, just to embellish this character a little bit and to give more nuance to this Johnny Depp performance. But at the same time, like, what the first one does in illustrating this character who is, like, so confident, who is so industrious, who is so ethically disgusting like that's just Willy Wonka Willy Wonka is like this confident asshole who's just great like this Willy Wonka is like very sheepish and very quiet and timid but also like it's supposed to be this charismatic person and it's supposed to be like this uber confident character but it's like oh well all of that like shyness comes from his trauma and it's like I don't I don't I got I'm not big Michael Jackson vibes from him. Yeah. And I think, like, that was... And because, like, this came out in 2005. So, I mean, you know, it was no secret that Michael Jackson was... Yeah, um, yeah. ...gross, right? But, like, for real, though, like, he's got the gloves and he's a germaphobe and he's a capitalist and he's a boomer because like you know he kept saying like i can't hear you when you mumble he wasn't fucking mumbling like there's there's so many things about him in this whole thing and the voice like just i fucking but see hated everything like all of the choices were so bad and like that like like you just said like oh i can't hear you when you mumble they're trying to do the thing that gene wilder did where he's like being incredibly and performatively facetious and and like is constantly misdirecting as a means of comedy. Like that's mm-hmm. the choice. It's very intentional. That's what's happening. But in this, I feel like it missed the point. It's like, he's just being snotty back at the kid. And there's not really a comedic moment in there. There's no, there's no real comedic beat. He's just like, I just don't think you should do this. And it's like, what? well, that, no, the joke in the first one was that like, he said it this way. And the tone, the, the cadence is what made this funny. You took that out, and now it's just words that don't really work. <laughs> you know? I have a whole section in my notes. We've already talked extensively about how I categorize them meticulously before we record. <laughs> There's a whole section, which is most of my notes, called Why I Hate It. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like uh, something that bugged me that kept ticking me out of the movie was um, what the fuck is this movie supposed to be taking place? Because sometimes it wanted to be like, 1800s London and sometimes it wanted to be 1960s and sometimes it wanted to be 2000s and it just didn't like Mike TV is playing an Atari I think and but like it's clearly like an Xbox kind of game that's on the TV and I'm like okay wait and then like the whole town just looks like a storybook land right but like and they look like you know they're just Poor Londoners or whatever, right? Yeah. But then you have, like, I don't know. I don't know where, when and where this was supposed to take place. And then I also was, like, right off the bat, they were, like, you know, the, we've talked about how in the last one they were they didn't have, um, the only time they mentioned another country was when it was, like, oh, Paraguay is where the fifth ticket was counterfeited. And in this one, right off the bat, they're, like, ooh, Cairo and ooh, Tokyo. And I was, like, because it's been a long time since I've seen this. So I was, like, oh, I don't You're... remember. Are, are they from those countries? Like, and then I was like, oh no, we just did that for no reason. And then when they show like the mania, cause like the mania only has five minutes basically to build up. They're like, oh, this is Turkey. And they're trading chickens for candy and stuff like yeah. that. So it's like, cool. We're just doubling down on like, you know, uh, racist stereotypes. Fucking why? Which, this movie, <laughs> this movie made some real big, real big swings the whole in that Indian category. Chocolate thing? 
why so did that I, need to be in there? Especially but, when they, they made a point to say, he figured out how to make chocolate ice cream not melt. Why the fuck? Why? So this is one of the things, like, part of his unnecessary backstory that we didn't... Like, obviously, they're getting into this territory of, like, oh, yeah, he is this industrial capitalist who's, like, gone to this big air quotes exotic land in search of big air quotes exotic flavors and that's why he's there but in the process ends up manipulating this indigenous culture of people knowing that they to some degree worship the cocoa bean (laughs) he (laughs) lies to them and says oh i'm essentially friends with your god i can let you talk to your god whenever you want to come i can give you your god i can give you your god um but the way he communicates that is in some cartoonishly racist uh high shrieks and tongue trills um (laughs) it's it's so he uses the word imported he said the oompa loompas were imported imported. they're not people they're They're not people right exactly which again i mean it just like anything that was implied in the last one when it comes to like slavery or colonialization like anything that like even poked the surface of that topic it was just kind of like yes we see that whatever but this movie was like no it's going to be cute and cartoonish and fun and silly if we show it like the only reason you need to show that is if you're critiquing it but you're not critiquing it what you're doing is just making it fun and making it silly and making it like wild which and and I mean it in all sincerity, in this case, the word wild being almost a pejorative within this landscape, right? Like, it's the exotification of other cultures and of other ideas and this thinking that, like, these ideas of religion based in this culture are silly. Like, he thinks it's silly mm-hmm. and stupid. And he also gaslights this entire indigenous population and convinces them that he's low-key their god he's friends with their god the coco like you know what i mean that that whole subplot was so like what first of all why like we don't need that exposition we don't need this that adds literally nothing else to the story like you're not going into a further backstory of the oompa loompas who they are like you could have just said yes i brought them here would have sufficed and this is all supposed to be okay because he's like, I saved them because there was so, yeah. like, he literally says that because there was, like, all of these bad things and they were getting gobbled up and there's all these yeah. monsters and stuff, right? And then he talks to them, like, they're, like, furthering your point about, like, how he doesn't respect them. He, like, talks to them like they're children. He summons them, like, in such, like, a gross way. And then, like, he also uses them as, like, test subjects and stuff, too, and then, like, also, like, the only time the Oompa Loompas ever speak English, too, is when they're singing the songs, right? They also, they never fucking smile. They just have, like, this perma frown, like, and so they're, it's supposed to be, like, look, we're happy, but that sucked. And then also the music choices for this, too, like, any time, uh, <laughs> like, the Oompa Loompas were singing, it was a different version of a genre that was created by non-white by by black people right and so i'm like oh cool (laughs) like so now you're doubling down you're tripling down on this like on like even like these really fucking subtle levels like what the fuck yeah it's i mean i feel like there are so many wrong choices made when you were gonna say the music i was like you can say oingo boingo (laughs) you can say it you can say it it's fine um 
well, it's even further that too. Like even later when Willy Wonka does that sort of like black affect when they're in the testing room where he says like, slide me some skin soul brother. <sighs> like, I feel like a lot of this stuff that's in this script is supposed to be like fun or cute or silly, but it's not, I mean, it's not, that had nothing to do with anything. And it's just this like, I mean, it's this group of white people doing, like, I just, it's bad. It's just bad, right? Like, it, there's there's not anything else to it apart from these are choices that are being made where it's like, oh, yeah, that kind of a voice is silly. It's like, no, that's not silly. That's just co-optive culture, and that's black voice. Like, that's not, there's nothing about that that's funny or silly. You're just intentionally choosing not to have that discussion because this is a movie about white people for white people. <laughs> and it's so wild because like the a lot of these were choices. Like he made yeah. a choice to like change the date even and the locations and the like of when the original story happened, right? And then he like had this choice instead of building the mania over 45 minutes, he gave he made the movie longer and gave that 45 minutes to Wonka's backstory, right? And 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 the post story of him like considering giving the God. like what was that it, at the end of the tour? It's like okay, go home now, and you're like, wait, what's happening? And it's like the whole shoe shine moment where he's like shining his shoes, and then decides that he's gonna like be his partner. Like that's also what? gross. Also gross. Yeah. Also. There was no Slugworth, so there was really no, like, tension other than, like, all of Wonka's tragic backstory where parents is, like, saying parents is, he's got daddy issues, right? Which I never realized, but um, Tim Burton really likes to talk about daddy issues in his movies. Every movie is basically daddy issues. But yeah, so anyways, going back to my why, uh, (laughs) my why area, they like instead of building the mania over 45 minutes, they built it over 10 and just used two, uh, what I assumed were two gay people that were walking their dogs uh, to spread (laughs) the rumors of this stuff, right? Also, that incredibly queer coding of those two characters who are just this like broken wristed femme yes. assumed cis men walking their dogs and being like well i heard that this is the it's like what okay but again like which to me very silly and i i was kind of just like oh my god this is funny but it does again in a movie that's like making the wrong choice about its depiction of character Again, to make the only two, like, assumed queer-coded characters, these two gay men, to be, like, gossip and, like, ooh, this is a bunt. I'm just, like, I mean, like, (laughs) sure, sure. Like, just, why not? Like, I mean, everything else, like, I just... Also, can we talk yes. about that TV room scene where it's like just five minutes of uh, Space Odyssey because Tim Burton just yes. really wanted to fucking insert himself into the Kubrick the Kub- uh, Kubrick canon, Kubrick cinematic universe. So he's yeah. like, oh, look, see, I did this. Oh, see, ha ha. Um, I do have a question here for you on that. How stoked do you think Kubrick would be if he found out that that's what happened to his masterpiece? I mean, that to me, I thought it was kind of fun only because of how in its own ass it is. Like, he <laughs> thinks so highly of himself. Like, he, within this movie, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to like, I'm going to make some sort of directorial commentary on this by putting this like 
fun fact. It's like, well, it's not, it's, I mean, it's a very well known movie. And like the pillar, it's like, it's going to be a Wonka bar. I kind of liked it. I mean, but children Kubrick, aren't going to know what this is. Like, no, that is it, like, it's some self indulgent directorial shit. But I thought it was very silly, especially just in the sense of like, I know that 2001 was like fantastic. And I know that Kubrick is hailed as like this visionary director. But the fact that in this movie, it's almost just like, pissing on his movie a little bit (laughs) i like any sort of like confident abusive assholes (laughs) when they can get knocked down a peg i'm into it no matter who it's coming from really so like the fact that burton is like i'm gonna make the monolith a wonka bar and that's gonna be funny for me i'm like yeah make kubrick mad like i don't care like (laughs) i mean you suck too like there's levels of both of you guys suck so like yeah if you want to Take the piss out of him a little bit. Like, why not? Go for it. That was one of the things about this movie that I enjoyed. I think blanket statement for the whole thing. What I liked about this movie largely was the visuals. I loved the aesthetic. I honestly, I liked that it was so ambiguous as far as time and place. because The fact that it was like it could be the late 50s, but it also could be the late 80s. Um, somewhere maybe mid-70s, who knows? And that like varied. I was kind of into it. And and like just the the blending of of historical styles of like you have some sort of like art deco decor, you have some of this like early 80s uh costume. Like you're having all of these different moments. I mean, the story I don't <laughs> I want to be clear. I don't like this movie, but <laughs> there's elements of it like that in particular like I think some of the composition was really great. I think some of the the choices as far as like how they're showing things, how they're framing things, I really enjoyed. And just the the visual aesthetic, I was like really into. But I think you and I have very different takes on this movie, and this happens so rare that I'm so excited because I don't I don't even want to give this movie that. Like I'm just really? like yeah, I'm like everything is just so like grotesque to me in this movie, like in a way where it's like oh we need to know we need you need you to know how poor charlie bucket and his family are so we're just gonna you know the house is already dilapidated but we're just gonna put it at a hard like 30 degree angle you know even the doors and stuff oh my god isn't that so fun that's so fun well that's that's like the biggest tim burton thing though he does he does that in like okay he's he's also i know we've talked about this but he's become a caricature into and of himself so without a doubt (laughs) his earlier works are fun to me but then or like it i haven't seen them in a long time but like i remember them being fun the the like the style the visual like okay that's cool but then like he just slowly goes more and more and more like leans into it as much as the house is leaning into it, you know? And it's like, okay, like I get that. Look, look, I know this is a Tim Burton movie. You don't have to convince me. (laughs) Yeah. You don't fucking know. I know what I'm getting into here. You don't have to like reiterate or reinstill or even reinvent yourself here. Like we don't need that. (laughs) Like just, (laughs) we know what we're signing up for. Let us, live also like his his like morals or whatever he's trying to say and all this first of all i also want to say Roald Dahl fucking hates children and he um he loves to watch children get hurt and get destroyed and all of that right this is apparent in everything that we've reviewed from him 
Uh, like, I didn't even realize, speaking of that, uh, Matilda goes into an Iron Maiden when she's yes. bad. Like, oh, my that God. Kind of stuff. Like, okay, oh. like, y'all, like, re- re-examine your connection I, with Doll. I, I want to watch Matilda again so bad. It's been so long. Oh, I do, too. Is there a remake? Uh, Can we do it for the pod? Um, I don't know if there's a remake. They did the musical, but I don't know if that would, like, translate. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it we'll out. We'll figure it out. I'm sure but, there's one in the works. There probably is. That's that's big nostalgia bait right there. Especially and, especially if Danny DeVito was back on board in whether it's directorial or acting or whatever, like there's a remake of Matilda coming to Netflix. Oh really? Okay, so they're working on it. Oh yeah. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to look Love. that up later. But anyways, but, um yeah. so in the same way that like before his style and like his messaging was maybe a little bit more pointed and maybe a little bit less beat you over the head and um less noisy i guess like for this right like you are watching a movie about this right and in this movie like a big narrative is tvs are bad they make you dumb but watch our movie and uh take our chocolate from this tv and that i found that so meta which is like cool but also like he didn't know what he wanted to say with this movie. He didn't know what he wanted to do. He's just like, ooh, maybe we can make a, a wouldn't it be fun? I mean, I'm sure this is in the book, but wouldn't it be fun if like, uh, and like ironic, if Wonka's dad was a dentist? Oh my God, yeah. how fun would that be? Isn't that Wouldn't cute? that be so silly? Oh my God. And then they haven't talked forever, but his dad just like keeps all of the news clippings. And so it's fine because like men are so bad at talking about their feelings. Oh my God. Like, isn't that great? The worst. I hated it. Um, I do want to bring up how fat phobic this movie is. I mean, I think the last movie that we talked about that was this fat phobic was another Raw Doll film. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but in this one, I know in the first one there is the acknowledging of like Augustus Gloop, who is supposed to be this sort of gluttonous, obviously fat, obviously like eats too much that's like his character his character is surrounded by this fact that he's insatiably eating like whatever okay great cool what fine um in this one like at least in the first one there's a little bit of a commentary but it's kind of just like no that's just augustus and it's not really an issue until he falls into the river right Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like there but this movie like made it very clear, like with the grandparents and with a lot of people, it's like when they're when he's on the news, one of the grandparents is like, Told you he'd be a porker. What a repulsive boy. Yeah. And then when the girl show when uh I think it's uh Veruca is on TV, they're like, She's even worse than the fat boy. And then later on, like the way that they're talking about him as he's going up the pipe, it's like this unnecessary just like oh my God, can he eat himself out? And blah, blah, blah. And it's like all this, like that wasn't really like in the first one. It's like added just noise of, of fat phobic rhetoric. And then on top of that, later in the depiction of Violet when she becomes a blueberry, whereas in the first one, she's depicted, she just blows up into a ball. Mm-hmm. Like she's a blueberry. That's the deal. In this one, it's like the CGI monstrify scene of like, her becoming this sort of it's not a ball but this like amorphous blob and picture pictured 
uh, of like an obese monster, the way she like grows and like the way she's like morphing and rolling. And there's this like horrible, horrible uh, orchestration behind it. That's like terrifying and scary. And like, Ooh, it's like, she's not becoming a blueberry. She's just becoming fat. You're showing her get fat. And you're like telling us the audience, like, be afraid of that. Be afraid of fatness. Be afraid of fat people. Like, if, if you hadn't already, like, dictated that early on with the characters who we're supposed to like, who we're supposed to be into, they're the ones fat-shaming this kid. And, like, even later when it's, like, he's eating his fingers, she's like, don't eat your fingers. He's like, but it tastes so good. Which, okay, fine, whatever. Um, yeah, this movie just, like, at every moment it could would make some sort of, like, fat-phobic joke or some sort of, like, fat-shaming notion, which, again, completely unnecessary, like... The story is already predicated on this idea that Augustus, Augustus Gloop is gluttonous. Whoa, what a what phrase. Augustus Gloop is gluttonous, right? <laughs> so, like, you don't... In the first one, did a great job about, like, not necessarily being like, oh, what a fat piece of shit. Look at this stupid big fat boy. Fat boy eats food. Like, what? Why? Like, that's insane to me that this is... That's, that's like, a fun part of the story. Like, oh, this awful bitch child is worse than the fat one. You're like what why what is this script like what's the fucking point of that like yeah i I, I don't i mean i get it i get it based on the other choices that he's made like they're the wrong choices (laughs) and it's not good but at the same time it's like man like you're just really gonna fire on all cylinders of slander to some degree like let's be racist colonizer let's be fat phobic asshole let's be like let's let's just do it all fucking go and they have to like that's one of the things that really fucking bugs me with uh tim burton at like you know at least like late tim burton right like i i haven't gone back and watched like edward scissorhands or anything but like i mean probably but like yeah there's this there was at least some sort of subtleness into like Everything didn't have to be just so overt and so over the top in order to try to, like, get this point across. So, like, you know, you're talking about this and that wasn't necessary. And, like, to further that, too, like, Augustus always had food on his face, you know? Yeah, he was on his shirt on his face. He was always covered in food of some kind, yeah. Always painting him as, like, somebody who's messy and somebody who's grotesque and somebody who's, you know, like... Like, that is completely unnecessary. Like, the, just the yeah. whole fucking thing. Oh, well, I taste so good. Like, yeah, it's just it's just this really gross depiction of, um, of fat phobia. And it's... I'm, I really, really, it's one of those things that just, like, every time that he does that with, like, something or he's trying to make a point, he can't just make it nuanced. He has to make it overt in a way that's, like, just incredibly tired and damaging and really oh, just yeah. in the end doesn't say anything all it does is it's just like it's just showing you like he's doing exactly what Wonka did in the first one where he's trying to control the narrative and trying to make sure that there's no room for anybody to have a difference of opinion on oh, yeah. any of the characters that he you know or the way that uh this world exists you know yeah it's like it's like he's trying to construct this narrative that's supposed to be like edgy. I mean oftentimes Tim Burton is like edgy or like you know, there, there's an edginess to his aesthetic, and that's his brand. It's like, sweetie, the entire dietary industrial complex and popular culture at large already did this. 
and continues to do it. You're not edgy by being fat phobic. You're literally the most boring version of this take with everything you're espousing here. Like, this isn't an interesting or funny take like, oh, the fat guy's a monster. No, fat people are told that every day with literally every piece of media they consume. And if it's not media, it's people on the street. It's people like it's it's constant. It's constant. That's a part of the culture. You moron. <laughs> like, well, and that's that's what he does with everything, and that's why yeah. I, like I have such a problem. Like, for, so uh, let's talk about Violet, right? Violet in the first one wasn't a super big asshole. She was just kind of like really competitive, and she was like, "Oh, whatever. Look at I've had this piece of gum for three, like you know." And it was just kind of like fun and like silly, and like, "Oh, you're you're so silly, right?" But in this one, like they changed her to be just this fierce competitor who like does karate i guess like and she's just a super big asshole in this one which made no sense to me but like when you distill like what he does especially with like these remakes and everything like he distills these characters down to one idea and then that is their entire trait that is how like so there's no like in the first one it's like competition okay fine and in this one she's like i am going to destroy you like she has this line where she calls charlie she says i'm not gonna lose because i'm not a loser like you charlie like that's what he does with everybody even with like mike tv right like oh well he liked tv and tv is bad so video games right he's a he's into violent video games and blah 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 and i'm just like what are you what are you doing like these characters are not fun they're not anything they're just really tired and boring and i hate all of this yeah i mean the only character i'll say who i love and it's really just because my own personal bias is missy pile um (laughs) violet beaudregard's mom in this movie is played by missy pile and i love missy pile i think she's so cool she's in most of my favorite movies i think she's so incredible and in this one it's no different i absolutely love her in this movie i think the fact that she doesn't fucking blink is such a cool choice to me. <laughs> like she's always just like wide-eyed, con- like, mm-hmm. Oh, I just love. I just think she's incredible, and I think she's so good in this movie. Um, that's all. That's all I wanted to say about her. I think she's so good. She was just there to be like. They switched the dad for a mom in this one, in my opinion, just so that way mom could hit on Wonka, right? Yeah. And I was just like, oh, that's sad and gross cool and then like she's she's trying to live through her daughter like you know like and i was just oh here's and here's here's my baton trophy yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's me and yeah she's she is very sad as a character it's just not a good movie yeah it's it's not good it really like honestly the choices that johnny depp made i know we went over this earlier but like the sort of like timidness it didn't work and like i i just i didn't like it i didn't like him i didn't like the character it's just incredibly jarring like he's trying to be this like kid right and this is how he thinks kids act right like at every point like okay we get it he has daddy issues he feels threatened by these children Right? Like, and in so many ways, he's still a child where he, like, he says, I was never short like you, right? Uh, like, you know, you suck. Like, he has all of these moments. And anytime, like, one of the other children says something smart, he interrupts them and belittles them and puts them down. 
And that's not what... See, I, and I'm it, only basing this on the 1971 film, but I, that's not what he was about, you know? And like, no. the, and to me, that's like just doing such a disservice to both um, the character and to Gene Wilder's performance. Yeah. Um, because I think there was just such a level of nuance with that. And then this one, it's just everything is like Wonka. Gum is gross. You know, I can't understand what you're saying. And, like, in the last one, he knew every kid. He knew their name. He knew their story. Whatever. And in this one, he's like, oh, kid. Like, he refers to everybody as kid because he doesn't remember which one is which. And he doesn't care. And that doesn't make... And it makes no sense because, especially for somebody who is as powerful and mysterious and is so meticulous and, 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 and such a, such a, like, a perfectionist in this way... The cards thing, like him having cards and not knowing, I'm like, that's the wrong choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't buy it. I don't buy this character at all. Like, for somebody the as... Why the gloves? Why would yeah, he... Yeah, also why the gloves? Also, and like you said, why doesn't he know their names? Like, in the first one, it was very clear. He knew exactly what he was doing. This was orchestrated. It was meticulous. It was perfect. And that's the insidiousness of this fucking industrial capitalist. And that's like the story. But in this, he's also that... But he, like, couldn't be bothered to learn these things because he's, like, sheepish and shy and, like, just anxious. And that's and why I'm, like... beneath him. Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. Like, I just don't yeah, buy that. Because, like, in the other one, I'm, like, oh, he played them, like, whatever. Like, I believe that this guy is kind of a madman. <laughs> like, this person is, is is scary bad. Whereas Johnny Depp is just, like not scary he's not scary but he's just like bad at being bad Mm -hmm. they tried to take all of the nuance from the other characters and put them into this character and it's like i don't need to know about willy wonka's dad this movie is called (sighs) charlie and the chocolate factory and i literally have no notes for charlie other than he's poor and um (laughs) because we have to make that very very clear right he's the only one excited about anything because he has nothing, which we covered in the last one. And his character just serves to ask questions to make Wonka reflect on himself. Because anytime Charlie opens his mouth, basically, we have a, like, oh, parents, woo, kind of flashback. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, this is boring. I fucking hate this. The only line that uh, Charlie says, like, that he actually has for himself is, Candy doesn't have to have a point. And I was just like, like this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, this, like this like movie. This doesn't have any point. Why is this called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when Charlie, this movie is not about Charlie even in the slightest. And like, yeah. Charlie is like the only one that's even somewhat responsible, right? Like he's trying to sell this, t- he wants to sell that ticket because they're in poverty, adults, the whole thing, nobody can do anything. But the adults, like because of capitalism, And because of scarcity and because of all of this, they tell him, no, 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 you have to do this because this is never going to happen again and X, Y, and Z, right? When he's like, yeah, but I would like to eat something other than cabbage soup. And like the one thing that I thought was interesting about this film is how like it portrays capitalism as the cause of and solution to misery and inequality and like life's problems and stuff. I don't think that was intentional because like... Uh, I'll go with the dad. The dad is a factory worker who puts lids on toothpaste. And then he's fired because of this whole Wonka craze that happens because they need more toothpaste because there's more cavities 
so they have a machine do it, right? And so he's fired. And yeah. then at the end, he becomes the person that operates that machine. So it's fine. But then also, like, if yeah. you think about it, too, like, Wonka is selling all of this candy, rotting people's teeth, giving business to daddy, right? So, like, that's, like, another, like, symbiotic relationship. And I'm just like, that's all on paper cool, but... It just doesn't translate. No. And, like, even even the the notion that... I feel like he was also trying to do that thing with the parents and authority figures that the first one did, where it's like, let's make sure that we, like paint them as bad and bad people. I don't think that was executed well enough in this. And like the couple times that like there was the, like the scene when he gets the golden ticket in the store. I like that more than I liked the first one where it's like these adults are trying to buy it off of him. Mm-hmm. I like that as a choice where it's like, Oh, I'll give you 50 bucks, 50 bucks. I'll give you a hundred bucks. And then the store clerk is like, leave him alone. Kid go. You should go home now. Yeah. I mean, my only problem with it is that the one black actor is the is, is <laughs> again in the very same trope to be sort of like sort of all knowing sort of the wise character like the wise character of color has one line in the store to say Charlie you should go home. I like the idea that the adults were trying to buy the ticket from him. I thought that that was like a nice addition. It was like a, a nice plussing of the first one. But even in that like cool choice to be like, yeah, these authoritarian figures are bad. And in this world, these adults are bad. That's just wrapped up in this problematic trope and sort of using characters of color in this way. <laughs> cool choice, bro. Yeah. It just, it, it, again, anything that's even like remotely thoughtful is wrapped in a blanket of problematic, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not a good movie. I, I remember seeing it in theaters and thinking it was fine. It was a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And rewatching it, I'm like, it's just not good. It's not a good movie by any means. I mean, I remember the hot topic craze that came with this, like hot topic had a field day of like the top hat and the goggles and like the Willy Wonka merch. They love Tim Burton. Let's be honest. That's the Tim so... Burton store. It is. And we're back. We're back. We've made it back. We brought it back. Eric. Yeah. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, 1971. Who Uh was this for? I mean, it was for Gene Wilder. That movie was for Gene Wilder. That was Gene Wilder's movie, without a doubt. That's what I'm saying. Because the audience itself, I mean, you said it, like, I I guess was a flop, a a flop Tina, as it were, in the box office. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to say, I'm just going to say Gene Wilder because he ate it up. That was his, that was his movie. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I think it was for Gene Wilder. A hundred percent. That's what I was going to say. And so then I'm just like, well. Oh, cool. um, So Gene Wilder, also 90s babies. I think I think this movie was just really ahead of its time for yeah. especially the critique on capitalism in just this very nuanced and subtle way that it had. I mean, like, it took us actually reviewing it like this for me to realize, like, how fucking deep that goes. Yeah. Um, did you like it? I did. I, I mean... I really, I truly forgot how many times I'd seen it as a kid and how like embedded or like 
how much nostalgia I feel for the story. Like I just hadn't recognized it until watching it and then having the reaction I did emotionally to like certain moments in the story and really remembering a lot of these scenes beat for beat. I was like, oh, fuck. I, I guess this movie was big for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so with that, yeah, I just, I think it's a great movie. I think it's really good. Great performances. I think, it, yeah, I think it's great. How about you? What do you think? Um, I also think that it is really great. I I was excited to watch this, even if I was yeah. like, it, even if it like ended up to be trash, I was like, I still stand this movie, you know, like, but, but truly like, what a gift this movie is. And yeah. like, it's so thoughtful in a way that I didn't expect. So like, I'm just mm-hmm. incredibly surprised and it just really is just so, 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 so good. Like I, it is. It's one of my favorite films still, you know, yeah. to this day. So Classic. Look at we've had like two back to back that we really love. How cool I know. is that? Ooh, we never do this. <laughs> <laughs> um Eric. Yes. The two thousand five remake, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Was this new and interesting? Or the same, progressive, regressive. How has the story evolved with today's ideals? Um, no, across the board. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it, I don't think was new or interesting. I think aesthetically, it was interesting because it looked different. Like the colors were a bit more vibrant, and what have you. But apart from that, no, I think it was regressive because I think it missed a lot of the point that the first one was trying to make, uh, especially as far as like the backstory and like trying to add some humanization to it, which just it just, you're trying to make the, the lead or this character more empathetic and more human, but like you just missed the whole point in it. So I thought it was regressive in that way. Uh, I, I think it's, it's kind of stagnated. I mean, I feel like it's the same story, but just a worse version of it. And that story was what the early seventies, whereas this was the mid two thousands. And I like it changed nothing. If 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 anything changed about the story, it was for the worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't think it has. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think that it it's new, but it's absolutely not interesting. And I think yeah. it's just incredibly regressive. Like we took out. 40 minutes of the building of capitalism, which this is a whole anti-capitalist story, like at least the first one was, and just gave that to a dude that has daddy issues. And so like, none of that makes sense. Um, It's also just so regressive in its portrayal of like, of masculinity too. And of like, you know, oh, daddy actually like clips all of his paper, all of the papers, you know, so he does love you. Like he never says sorry, they don't really make up or anything but that's supposed to be resolved and resolve the whole thing. Um, it's also regressive because like they use the hard R in this. It's 2005. Oh, I forgot to bring that up. And they use the hard R. Yeah. Like, and I was like, okay, um, why? Like in that way that like, you know, again, like we've talked about so many times before in the early 2000s, 2010s and even now every re like so many of the remakes are just the darker grittier version trying to give backstory for things that you don't like 
good characterization does not necessarily mean you need to talk about backstory. It doesn't mean like, uh, like character work is incredibly important. I think that's one of the most important things about a story because then like that character and like their story is like their personal story is going to dictate how they move forward and react to things in the story. But without, um, but the story didn't even really do the work of that story. It was just like, he had braces. So yeah, I just, um, I really, really, really don't like when they just try to, to make a story new by talking about a backstory that wasn't fucking needed. Like this doesn't- Without a doubt. It didn't add anything to the story. In fact, it took away from the overall messaging. And well, I wasn't even sure what the messaging was supposed to be because like, they didn't even really tell you anything. Like, is Tim Burton okay? Like, are him and his dad okay? Like, because how many fucking daddy stories does he have, yeah. you know? And I'm just like... I mean, like, now that you bring it up, arguably every single one of them. Every single one of them, yeah. I was like, wow. Basically, every story except, like, the corpse bride and Coraline, I guess. Like, But, like, for the most part, the majority of them, and I'm just like, okay... Why does there have to be this tragic backstory? Like this like the, a tragic backstory doesn't make somebody interesting. And that doesn't tell me anything about the character necessarily. Yeah. So just another example of like instead of um adding nuance, they just added noise that made me yeah. really upset and made me want to turn this off. <laughs> yeah, so, 100%. Um, I do like that we've come to the conclusion that the two things you can rely on from a Tim Burton movie are Helena Bonham Carter and Daddy Issues. <laughs> the two <laughs> two staples, angles. the angles. two staples of uh, the Burton uh, Danny catalog. Elfman. Danny oh, and Elfman. Danny Elfman. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yes, three things: mm-hmm. Danny Elfman, Helena Bonham Carter, and Daddy Issues. <laughs> Ooh. Um, who is this for? Uh, probably the Hot Topic merchandising department. They got on those top hats and goggles very quick. Who do you think it was this for? Oh, I think this was 100% for Tim Burton. This felt like a self-congratulatory yeah. piece of shit. Where, yeah. like, I mean, he did the 2001 Space Odyssey thing in a children's movie, knowing that, or what is supposed to be a children's film, knowing that most 10-year-olds have not seen or yeah. don't even know what 2001 Space Odyssey is. And that was a whole fucking bit in this. So it's just yeah. like... And the only way that that is funny is if you know that film, yeah, right. So, anyways, it's it's a little, it's a yeah, especially for the the platform, it feels a little gatekeepery. Like, oh, I know this and you don't. Yay, we hate that! Oh, hooray! Did you like it? Oh no, no, it's not good. Um, I don't think I liked it then, and like, especially now, like, I just I don't like it. I mean, granted. Missy Pyle is perfect, but apart from that, I think she had no, like two you. lines. Two. I know, and they were great. <laughs> <laughs> Every line was perfect. We loved it. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you like it? Hell no! <laughs> like I hated it the first time I saw it, and I hated it this time. Will yeah. I watch this again? Never in my life, ever. Yeah. Ever will I watch this again? This movie was just so boring. Yeah, not great. Not great. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think we did it. Look at I us. I think I'm we proud did. Look at us. It's We're tired. We need to go to bed. I know. Watch. I'm going to take a shower and spend the next three hours staring at fucking TikTok. 
absolute <laughs> fool. Instead, I'm like obviously tired and I should literally get in bed and sleep. But I'm gonna be like, <laughs> what then? Take the and it's gonna be like twelve thirty. I'm gonna be like, why? Why am? Why? Why do I do this? <laughs> why do I do this? For what? Oh, For what man. reason? I'm gonna giggle at like one of them. Oh my god. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, please don't forget to rate and review us on uh, iTunes. If you have not already, that really helps us with visibility. And it's just uh, one of the greatest gifts that you can give us. Aside from our Patreon, which um, if you would like to become a patron, you can uh, do so at patreon.com slash nostalgia. There's a link in the show notes because we actually do those now, which we're very proud of. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, all of the places. Artwork and music by Eric Lefebvre, editing by Danny Barkley. And thank you, Eric. I, thank you, Jess. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. This is fun. A joy, a treat, even. Uh, a treat. A little, a little delight. <laughs> a little moment. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit the NostalgiaNetwork.com for more. Hey everybody, I'm Eric. I'm Shelby. I'm Jake. And we are the band Lousy Advice from the Lousy Advice Podcast. Come listen as we draft artists and genre-centric best-of lists. With the help of our closest friends. These lists are canon. And there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. From misfits to share. Green Day to Gaga or Pup to Paramore. Listen to the Lousy Advice podcast now or else. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Nostalgia Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that we are the band Lousy Advice and this is our podcast, the Lousy Advice podcast. The Lousy Advice podcast? The Lousy Advice podcast. Podcast. Podcast.